Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. As you're seated, if you would open your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. One of the things that happens every year that there's an election is people publish election voters' guides. And usually what that guide is, is it's a list of the, the person's voters' record, that, that, that elected official, how they voted on key issues. And, and we've encouraged believers, those who follow Christ, to, to look at those records and see how people vote and see if our politicians vote on those issues that, that the way we would see uh, would be godly issues. And then I've learned over the years that not only are you to look at the voter's record, but you need to look at the character of the person that you're electing to office. Well, I thought this morning as we elect deacons for ministry in this local church that I would give you an, an election voter's guide to tell you who to vote for as deacon. You like that? All right. Stay with me, okay? Acts chapter 6. The Bible says in those days, verse 1, as the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. That was distribution of food. Then the twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching about God to wait on tables. Therefore, brothers, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves prayer to the preaching ministry the proposal pleased the whole congregation so they chose Stephen a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit and Philip Prochorus Nicanor Timon Parmenius and Nicholas a proselyte from Antioch and they had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them verse 7 so the preaching about God flourished the number of disciples in Jerusalem multiplied greatly and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. First question I want to answer this morning as we think about who to vote for is, let's look at what he does. What does the deacon do? Um, what does the deacon do? So he said, Pastor, that's easy. A deacon deeks. Okay? Well, let's talk about what that really is that a deacon does. This, this passage in Acts chapter 6, what we believe is the, the birthplace, the roots of the, the office of deacon in the ministry of the church and as the church grew, and the, by the tens of thousands in, in the city of Jerusalem, there was a need to minister to the needs of the people, and the apostles were finding that they were being uh, using their energy and time doing that. And they said, that's not right for us. Let's set aside some godly men who can do that ministry so we can focus on the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. Number one, the first thing a deacon does, he serves the people. He serves the people. Verse 2 says the disciples came it would not be right for us to, to give up preaching in order to wait on tables in order to serve let's find some other men to do that a deacon is a servant by the way if our translators had just taken the word from the greek deacon in the greek you know how it translates in the greek <laughs> servant that's what the word means if they had just translated it instead of transliterated it like our word baptize do you know what that word means in the original language it means immerse 
If our translators had translated baptism as immerse, it would settle a lot of issues. Because that's what it means. It means to immerse something, to place something underwater. Deacon means to serve. If we had translated that, there would be a lot less conflict in our churches about what is the role of a deacon. Some people feel like deacons run the church. Deacons are to be the board of directors of a church. That's not true. My understanding of Scripture is a deacon is a servant. He is to serve. Rick Warren says the one who rows the boat seldom has time to rock the boat. I believe if we put godly men to work in ministry and service, we'll have a fruitful ministry here. Number two, he simplifies ministry. He serves the people, a servant. He simplifies ministry. Verse three says, let's select some men and appoint this duty to them. And when they did that, verse seven says, so preaching about God flourished. Can I just paraphrase? Let's set some men aside to do this service. And what's gonna happen is ministry is gonna take place and the church is going to grow. Ministry is going to be simplified. I don't believe that verse 7 is an accident. None of these verses are, but, but as, as Luke tells the story, he places that there to say the reason the church flourished in ministry is because they elected these godly men to serve the people. They kept it simple. Let's do what we're called to do, teach and preach the word. Let's find some men who are called to do ministry and do service. We try to keep it simple around here. We've tried to model our church after the model of the simple church, which means let's just, let's streamline. Let's keep our mission statement clear and concise. Andy and I were at a meeting of pastors this week, and uh, one of the guys uh, that was talking about churches and ministries and vision said, how many of you guys have a mission statement in your church that's easy to remember and most of your people know? And Andy and I went. And we looked around, we're the only ones. But our church has, has simplified things. We are here to, to, lead, to lead people to love God to connect with others, and what? Reach our world. See, you all know it. Simple. Uh, we, as we've thought about how many deacons do we need right now, we've decided to keep it simple. We just said, let's try to add five right now. Many more were nominated. We're going to work on that later, but right now, let's keep it simple. Let's, let's get it in, in the routine with five. So that's what we're trying to do. And the deacons will simplify ministry. Number three, the third thing he does, he supports the pastors. He supports the pastors. These men came along so that, verse 4, the pastors, the, the, the pastors of that day, the apostles, could devote themselves to prayer and to the preaching ministry. At our week of prayer this week, we were giving testimonies Friday night, and one of our ladies was sharing about a need in her life, and she said she got so desperate, she even asked the pastor to pray for her. So we all laughed about that. I'm not sure what that meant, but we are called to pray. It doesn't mean our prayers are any more unique or special than your prayers, but God has called us to be set aside to spend time in the Word, to seek His heart and His mind and His will. And what the deacon does is he comes alongside the pastor and supports the pastors so they can do that ministry. I think of the illustration in the um, Old Testament of Moses and the Joshua's fighting the battle and Aaron and her come and stand alongside Moses and hold up his arms. As long as Moses' hands were up, they were victorious. When he got tired and his arms fell, they were losing the battle in the trenches. So Aaron and her came and stood alongside Moses and held up his arms. That's what deacons do. They hold up the arms of the pastors of the church. Someone said there are two kinds of pillars in the church. They're the caterpillars. They just crawl in and crawl out every week. Never know what they're doing. Never recognize them. Then there are the pillars who actually hold the thing up. <laughs> I like that. Deacons are called to be pillars, to be men who come along and support the pastors. Number four, he carries out a spirit-filled ministry. He carries out a spirit-filled ministry. In this passage, it just mentions Stephen. In verse 5, 
The proposal pleased the whole company. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. A spirit-filled man. A deacon is a man who accomplishes spirit-filled ministry. Not doing ministry in the flesh by their own efforts, but ministry led by the Spirit. By the way, that filled with the Spirit means to be controlled by the Spirit. Look at Ephesians 5.18. You, you don't be controlled by an outside substance like alcohol. Instead, you be controlled by the Spirit of God. It's just a picture there. You be under the influence of the Spirit. We ask these deacons to be men who accomplish spirit-filled ministry. That's what he does. That's translation, the deacon deeks. There you go. You have those four things. Now, what kind of man is he to be? I believe that's important. Not just as we think about a politician, the voter's record, but what kind of a man is he or she as you think about a politician? What's their character? Let's ask that about these men that we are proposing to elect as deacons. 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, as Paul writes his instructions to Timothy, he gives some specifics about those called to ministry. In chapter 3, beginning in verse 8 of 1 Timothy, deacons, likewise, he's already spoken to elders and pastors, he says, deacons, likewise, should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And they must also be tested first. If they prove blameless, then they can serve as deacons. Then he mentions the wives of deacons, too, must be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-controlled, faithful in everything. Verse 12, deacons must be husbands of one wife, managing their children in their own households competently. For those who have served well as deacons, there's that word servant, serve again. Those who have served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. What kind of man is he to be? As Paul writes to Timothy, he gives character traits. He gives the kind of man that a deacon should be. Let's walk through and look at these. First of all, he is admired by the congregation. Admired by the congregation. Verse 8 says, he should be worthy of respect. Respected, admired, looked up to. We've said this before. The, the office of a deacon, the role of a deacon, shouldn't be something we have to go turning over rocks looking for these guys. There's got to be a deacon around here somewhere. Somewhere. What happens with deacon ministry is it ought to be obvious to the whole congregation that man is already there. He's already being that kind of man, a man who's worthy of respect, a man who is admired by the congregation. I don't mean admired in a way where we, we idolize that person, but someone who's admirable, a person who is respected. The New American Standard says they should be men of dignity. Did a memorial service yesterday afternoon out on the beach at Port Aransas. Cold. I'm glad I wore my jacket. We stood out there for quite a while. But as we shared, uh, it was for Verna's uncle, and he had, a, had a, a job where he had a beach rental place out there on Port A for years. And he's gone to be with Jesus now. So we stood out there, and some family and friends gathered. But what was so cool is a whole bunch of folks from the community were there. And they gave testimony as to how Travis had impacted their life. How this one had a need or that one had a need. I thought, how cool is that? This guy, I didn't even know about his job out there. I knew he did that, but I didn't know what was involved out there. This guy had so impacted his community that they respected and they admired him. That's what a deacon is, admired. Secondly, he is authentic. Authentic. Again, verse 8. He is not hypocritical. He's a man of integrity. He's genuine. The NIV says he's sincere. New American Standard says not double-tongued. 
message says he's not deceitful. Authentic, genuine. The kind of man that we should elect as a deacon is the kind of man who is transparent, who's clear, who's obviously a genuine believer. I don't know how many schools do it now, but I can remember when uh, some school systems told the kids that they had to bring clear plastic backpacks to school. So that, why, what was that all about? Because they didn't like the color blue and green? No, it's because, because the administration needed to be able to see what was in those students' backpacks. Isn't that wonderful that we've come to that? I remember when I first saw those on sale, I said, what's going on here? Well, that's, that's, that's required in the school district now. So people can see what's inside. That's what you call transparency. That, that's what you call authentic. We know what this kid's carrying to school. A deacon should be a man who is authentic, who is genuine. No fake, no phony, no pretending, no putting on airs. A genuine person. Number three, he avoids alcohol. A deacon is one who avoids alcohol. Again, I've said these are character traits, and that, that sounds like a practice, but it really is a trait. If you look at verse 8 there, not drinking a lot of wine. That literally, in the original language, in the Greek, says, not alongside the wine. Not alongside that. His character trait is he's a person where he doesn't in, in, engage in that kind of activity. He avoids it. Anything that would control him, anything that would cause him to be not uh, clear thinking, he avoids that. He's not addicted to it, some translations say. Basically, as I think through this passage and I read that and I study that section, to me, it's saying it's a person who doesn't need that. A person who doesn't need anything else. Some people say, well, now I can just hardly have a break so I can get a break so I can go get a drink. Why do you need it? A deacon is a kind of man who's not addicted to that, who avoids that, who's not going to be impaired with that. Sometimes at camp or a youth event, we'll do a game called Izzy Dizzy or Dizzy Izzy. I'm not sure what the correct name is. Dizzy Izzy. Well, you take a baseball bat and you stand it on the ground, and then you put your nose on it. And then you run around the baseball bat. How many times? Five, ten? That, that right there about did me in. Whoa. You run around, and then they say, now just run a straight line to the other side of the gym. Oh, my goodness. Last time I tried that, I fell flat on the floor because I was totally impaired in what I was trying to do. A deacon is to be a man who avoids anything that's going to impair his ministry, that he can be clear-headed all the time. Number four, he is not attached to money. He is not attached to money. Look at verse 8 again. We're just walking through verse 8. Not greedy for money. Some translations say not pursuing dishonest gain. The message says not in it for what they can get out of it. The deacon is to be a man not attached to money. It's a mindset. At Coastal Oaks, it kind of needs to be the mindset because over the years, our deacons have been those men who have reached into their pockets when there's been a need. Sometimes I don't even know about it. Sometimes I hear through someone else that there was a physical need and somebody needed help with gas money or rent or or whatever, and our deacons just did that. They can't be the kind of person who says, well, that's not my job. The deacons, you may not have known this, guys who are up for election, but you've got to empty your pockets, right? Not attached to money. Boy, we've had some men in this church who who have exemplified that. Sometimes you will have a need and and I'll say, I'm not sure I'm going to need that. And they'll say, Pastor, we'll cover it. We'll take care of it. What a blessing. Number five, his lifestyle agrees with his beliefs. This is so important. We're moving to verse 9 now. His lifestyle agrees with his beliefs. 
holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Some have have translated the thought there of consistency. A clear conscience means the man says he believes this, and there's nothing in his life that's going to contradict that. It's a clear conscience. It's, it's, it's saying, what I, what I talk about is how I live. How have we said it for years? I'm going to walk the talk. That's simply what it is. You walk the talk. Your life agrees with your beliefs. That's so, so important. Nothing in this man's conduct, nothing about his attitude that would bring into a question that he practices what he preaches. He lives what he says he believes. He walks the talk. Sometimes in our office here at Coastal Oaks, there will be an office prank. It'll be something funny that we'll do. Nobody gets hurt. Usually no one gets hurt, but there'll be something. And, and whenever it happens, whenever there's something turned the wrong way or something, you know, unusual, you know who they always look at to be the prankster? Me. And, and so sometimes stuff happens and I go, don't look at me. This well, you're the one that's always doing that stuff. The deacon should not be that kind of guy who when something goes wrong, he's the guy. To be the complete opposite than our pastor is in the office. See, when, when there's a prank in the office, everybody should say, well, we know it's not the pastor. He would never do anything like that. See, that's the way a deacon should be. When, when there is an accusation, when there is something that is, that is brought up, say, it couldn't be that man because we know his life. Which brings me to the next point. He is above reproach, above reproach. Some translations say blameless. Look at verse 10. And they must also be tested if they prove blameless. Above reproach. It means above accusation. It means when someone sees something wrong, they would say, I know that man. I know his character. I know his life. It's clear that that's a false accusation. Tested, blameless, walking the talk. Above reproach. That's probably for me the one that I just put out there all the time. What kind of man should we find? We should, we should find a kind of man who no matter what's said about him, we could say, not him. Not him. Number seven. He is anchored in his marriage. Anchored in his marriage. Look at verse 12 and 13. Deacons must be the husbands of one wife, managing their children and their households competently. For those who've served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves, anchored in his marriage. Now, the Holman Christian Standard Bible translates like many other translations, husbands of one wife. The original language, we've talked about this a lot, says one woman kind of man. That's literally what it says. It says one woman man. Four views of that passage. It says, some people say, well, that means he can never be divorced. Others say, well, it means he's supposed to have one wife at a time. Yeah. Others say, well, it's okay. Even if he's widowed, it means he can't serve because he's had a wife before and he can't be remarried. All those interpretations. I believe to be consistent with the scripture, consistent with the passage, consistent with the context, what it refers to is the deacon's character. He needs to be a one-woman kind of man. He needs to be a man who is anchored to the woman he's married to. That's what I believe that passage means. And I've gone through and studied and studied and studied. Dr. John MacArthur says the Greek text literally reads, one woman, man. Paul is not referring to a leader's marital status as the absence of the definite article in the original indicates. That's Greek stuff, okay? Rather, the issue is his moral, sexual behavior. He goes on to say, many men who are married only once are not one woman men. 
Many with one wife were unfaithful to their wives. While remaining married to one woman is commendable, it is no indication or guarantee of moral purity. I believe that. You look at the context here. John Bassanio says this, the Greek does, not, do, the Greek does indeed mean one woman man. Not only the Greek, but also the simple process of hermeneutics demands such an interpretation. Contextualizing the passage, you find that every other qualification in this passage is an inclination toward, an inclination toward this kind of man. It's not hard and fast. It is not a status, but a character trait that Paul writes about. It cannot be a status, he goes on to say. It's not what one, it, it, it is not what one is, married or divorced, but it is what one is like, faithful or unfaithful. So I believe when we say, what is a deacon to be in that area of marriage relationship? He is to be anchored in his marriage and committed to that one wife that he has right now. Anchored. Recently, I had to pull some shrubs out of my front yard. And I learned from my friend Scott that one of the easiest ways to do it is just to tie a chain or a rope around it, tie it to the bumper of your, your vehicle and pull it out. So I did. It was early one Saturday morning. Kelly was still in bed. I got up before it got too warm and I tied my toe strap. I dug around the roots to try to get this shrub out. I tied my toe strap around it, and then I took it and I tied it to the bumper of my pickup truck with big wide tires and a low granny gear, and I just went, let the clutch out, boom, this loud thud, nothing happened. So I backed up a little bit, I did it again about four times before that thing came out of the ground. It was anchored. Later when Kelly woke up, she said, what in the world was going on out there? The whole house was shaking. And I didn't realize that. But I got those shrubs out, but they were anchored. A deacon is to be the kind of man that is so anchored in his marriage that you can't pull him out of it, even with a toe strap. And a 350 pickup. And a granny gear. Do you see it? Not, oh, I can check him off. He's never been divorced. Okay, that's good. No, that's not what he's talking about. Is that a kind of man who demonstrates in his marriage that he is anchored there? kind of man is a deacon to be? He's to follow the example of Jesus. I think our background slide is so clear. In John chapter 13, Jesus, after he got prepared for the Passover meal, says he, he took a towel and a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Bottom line, as you pray about, should I vote to elect this man who's been nominated or not? Bottom line, is he a servant? Would he be the kind of guy that would get up and take a towel and wash the feet of people of the body of Christ? That's the kind of man we're looking for. Let's pray.